This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. This part of the music of Rihanna, who is one of a few artists who are not happy with their music being played at campaign rallies of President Donald Trump lately, because music and politics don't always mix. We mentioned Rihanna, also Axl Rose and Pharrell Williams have objected to their songs recently being used at those rallies ahead of the midterm elections. In fact, a cease and desist order was sent to the White House by Rihanna's lawyer. Politicians often use popular music as a way to connect to the public, but do the campaigns have the right to use music without the consent of artists, or do the artists have any legal course? Mark Ostro is a copyright, entertainment, and music lawyer, as well as an adjunct professor at the Cardoza School of Law at Yeshiva University. He joins us on the phone right now to discuss this. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. I, I mentioned the cease and desist order. What impact would that actually have in this process? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. And, you know, I read the Times article uh, where they mentioned that in recent years, BMI and ASCAP have written into their contracts giving music a right to stop politicians. And I've gone and reviewed the relevant ASCAP and BMI contracts that are available on the web and on their websites, and I haven't seen a change to the language other than it says that they have the right to withdraw a work if there is a lawsuit that has been filed. Right. So typically... If you are, if you have a venue that is licensed, and this gets complicated, yeah, um, and it's just being played in the background, then the blanket licenses that the uh, performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, GM, or uh, ASCAP and BMI being the two major ones, they issue blanket licenses that allow the non-dramatic public performance of any music in their catalog to be played as often as as the licensee likes. So what typically happens is after the fact an artist such as Rihanna will complain and since the politicians typically don't want adverse publicity they will voluntarily stop playing that artist's music such as what happened with Trump and Neil Young a few years ago. Well, as you mentioned, the, the unique part to this is the the venue, the arena where these rallies may be taking. And most arenas have some type of music license agreement with one of these companies so that they can use the uh, uh, that, that wealth of music that's in that library, either, you know, in the in the arena itself or out in the concourse as, as background music. That that is correct. Uh, those rights aren't absolute. All of these licenses do contain uh, exemptions that says, for example, if a college has a license for its auditorium, it says that these licenses typically will say that no third parties are allowed to use it. So if a candidate comes to campus, that college's license doesn't necessarily cover that rally. Right. Uh, other uh, other exemptions are typically 
no broadcasting or streaming of the event because this is only a license for the live performance and broadcast and streaming rights would require a separate public performing license from these organizations. So then is the responsibility in this realm on the arena or I've also read that the responsibility could be on the candidate's campaign because they have been asked at times from what I read to get their own music license so that they can have whatever music they like being played at these particular rallies. Well, again, that doesn't necessarily get you out of the box. The, 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 um, for example, BMI has a uh, license for um, political entities. I haven't seen a similar license for ASCAP. They have a trade show and convention license. Right. Um, and again, it doesn't have any different language than the language I was describing. Uh, so, for example, that would, if the candidate, take Trump for example, if Trump had a BMI license for his political events and he performed at a university that is also licensed, that takes care of the university third party problem because the candidate has a license, but that's still a blanket license that presumably would allow. Trump or whatever political candidate has such a license right. to perform all the works in the repertoire. So what typically happens is that what we've seen in, with Rihanna and Axl Rose and many other uh, uh, songwriters in the past is that they will object after the fact when they become aware of a performance and the candidate not wanting adverse publicity uh, and uh, a mixed message right. will voluntarily remove the music. Um, there are other rights besides the copyright in the song and the public performance that's at play. Uh, some of these articles, and I was uh, coincidentally quoted in, in, in a Time magazine article that came out the same day as the New York Times article, uh, there are rights of publicity and, uh, you know, you know, a, a, an unfair association with a person or a product or a campaign, separate and apart from the music. Rihanna, as a public figure and an entity, yeah. has certain publicity rights. But if they're just playing the song and they're not saying, Rihanna supports my campaign, there's really not a lot you can do other than send a letter saying the artist is really upset, stop doing it. Right. Michael Carroll also joining us, law professor and program director of the program on information, justice, and intellectual property at American University at their uh, College of Law. Michael, thank you very much for your time today. Yes, thanks for the invitation. Thank you. So uh, what is the, 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 the potential ground here for artists to be able to say yay or nay to politicians about using their music in, in these venues, knowing that you also have the arenas that have these licenses as well? Well, that's right. I think, as, as, as you just heard, um, if the venue already has the performance license, then it's a blanket license and, and uh, the performance is, is allowed. Um, if, if the rally, a political rally takes place outside of one of those venues, uh, the licensing agencies offer the campaigns a license. And the artists, at least with BMI, have the right to, to uh, say they don't want their music played if it's a political campaign that is the licensee. So there's right. a little bit of room 
uh, to pull back, but but it's limited. Michael, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but again, I, I've looked at the BMI licenses that are available, and I haven't seen that language in there, although I have heard mention of this being a recent policy. Have you seen... I haven't. I actually did do the research. I didn't find that language, but that is what the representatives of BMI have said to the media. So, yeah, I, I, um, that that is that is absolutely true. But uh, I, I'm glad to hear that you looked at the licenses also and yeah. and haven't seen that language. Um, so uh, it, it, it's still a, a somewhat open question about whether in advance. Um, and uh, a songwriter can withdraw works from political campaigns or they can only object after the fact. Well, and, and here's my my question then on top of that, uh, Mark and Michael. Mark, I'll start with you. Is that does the, the, the artist have the right to to say no to X candidate, but yes to Y candidate? Well, Certainly, an artist can make known that they uh, uh, associate with and endorse uh, candidates. That has certainly happened over the course of time. Uh, going back to the 2016 campaign, right. uh, Katy Perry was a very ardent supporter of Hillary Clinton, for example. Um, but again, under the blanket license, if, uh, if uh, a songwriter, and I use the term songwriter because ASCAP, BMI, the PRO's license songs right, and there right. is no public performance in the actual recording over loudspeakers or over the radio but that's a whole different conversation um, so yeah. it's Rihanna as songwriter not Rihanna as recording artist who is making these objections um, so again if they support the candidate then they just don't object Michael yeah and I, but but what we're talking about is just the live performance at a rally um, right. If if it, it when we start talking about the use of music in campaign videos, there have been issues. That's a whole like different ballgame. The the then the artists have a lot more control um, uh, because then you need different licensing, um, in, which is more individualized than these blanket licenses that apply to live performance. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio one thirty two or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney L O N E Y twenty one. I guess, Mark, how, how many instances have we seen of artists or songwriters actually saying no to a political campaign? Because if memory serves me, this has really been an issue that that it could be in the play. Uh, since President Clinton started to use songs at a lot of his rallies, correct? Uh, this this goes back for a number of years. In fact, uh, Vulture slash New York Magazine recently came out with a long list of artists who've objected to Trump, for example. Right. Um, so, yes, I mean, this is something that always comes up because people want to use music at rallies because it gets people going. I just want to amplify on something that, that Michael said that was absolutely correct uh, with respect to using music in a video. If you make an actual video and incorporate uh, the, the sound recording of an artist, you have to get written permission from both the copyright owner of the song and the copyright owner of the master recording. So that would be the music publishers and the record label. Mm -hmm. And there is no blanket licensing for this. This has to be done on an individual basis, and there's no 
blanket or compulsory license as there are in other aspects of the music business, and the rights holders have an absolute right to say no. Michael, how, how often uh, do the the licensing companies confer with the representation from the artist or the songwriter saying, hey, uh, you know, this company wants, we want to issue this company a license to be able to use our music, which includes your music that that is in our library. How much does that conversation go on between licensing company and artist? I think it depends on the um, nature of that relationship, but especially if it's going to be you don't want to be a, a company giving a license to a political campaign and then have your artists turn around and, and criticize you in the media for that. So, right. you, you know, in, in events like that, you're likely to see a consultation because it's in the interest of both the, the publisher, the sound recording owner and the artist to all be on the same page. And, and I guess that that falls on the judgment of the licensing company in whatever situation it may be to say, hey, listen, we need to let all of these artists know that you potentially want to use their music in rallies, campaigns, whatever it might be, for the licensing company to actually make that first step of going out and and, uh, and reaching out to the musicians? I, I think that's really hard, uh, because even if you take just the superstar artists, you're talking about dozens of artists across different genres of music, and... The other thing that gets complicated, so to say in, you almost have to have a crystal ball that say, we know that Donald Trump in advance wants to use Rihanna's music, so we're going to talk to Rihanna. I right. don't know how often that really happens. Um, it, it, would be, it would be difficult to do. The other thing that makes this even more complicated is the, is the concept of fractional licensing, uh, and so if you have more than one songwriter who writes a song, which is typical these days, one could be an ASCAP member and one could be a BMI member, and mm-hmm. ASCAP and BMI only has their proportional share, so BMI may have notified their songwriter, but ASCAP might not. Uh, it, it, it's, just, it's just very difficult to police that sort of thing in advance. Michael? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think just for clarity, I think when you were using the term licensing agency, Mark and I are then switching gears and thinking okay. about ASCAP, BMI, Correct. the people who license the live performance. If it's the the licensing in a video, it's actually the the people who own the copyright Which who are doing the licensing. Publisher. So it's not a, it's not a licensing agency. It's it's the copyright owners that are giving the license. So. It, there's going to be more control and more conversation when you're when it's the copyright owner doing the licensing, and as Mark says, you wouldn't see that conversation take place um, if it's just the the blanket license. The one other piece of control that the artist might have is when a political campaign doesn't just want to use the song once, but wants to turn the song into like their theme song, the way. Um, uh, President Clinton did with the the Fleetwood Mac song. Yeah. Um, once, Don't stop believing. Yeah, once you start to use a song as your your theme song or your signature song, the risk that the that the public thinks the artist is on board with that campaign goes up, and the artist then gets a chance to say, "Wait a minute, I you can you know I can't stop you from using licensed music, but you can't identify my song and me as your backer unless, in fact, there is an endorsement." Right. And, and to amplify on what Michael said, that's not strictly a copyright law issue. That's not having to do with the use of the music 
just the song, it's the association of the artist or band which gets you back to the right of publicity issues and other proprietary rights that are not strictly about the copyrights in the songs. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132. Or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We're joined on the phone by Mark Ostro, who is with the uh, Cardoza School of Law at Yeshiva University. Michael Carroll, who is uh, at American University at the Washington College of Law. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like Send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Michael, this is, uh, and we've talked about this quite often on the show, but this is another area in, in the music industry right now where the rights, the copyright is really, uh, it, it the view of the copyright really has to be looked at into how it is being used and all of the different unauthorized uses of this music by whether it be a political campaign or a sports venue or a team or, you know, there are so many different areas that that are potential trouble spots for the music industry and the songwriters right now. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, on the one hand, the good news is lots of people want to use music. And so there are lots of opportunities to make money with licensing your music. The downside is not everybody bothers to get that license. And then enforcing your rights means being able to monitor a track and then hunt down the people who are using it. And so even if even sticking with our theme of the campaign, um, even though they know the rules, sometimes they will use a song unauthorized in a campaign video because time is so precious. And if you're trying to get your message across and that music is going to help win you a couple of votes, they'll pay the price of, of doing that rather than going through the licensing process uh, because they don't have time for that. Mark doesn't make it right, right? But it does happen. right, and, and right. There's a very common thing in in the music business, and you know, certainly on the internet, it's you know better to use the stuff now and ask forgiveness later, uh, uh. because time is of the essence, than to take the time to ask permission in advance. Because, for example, if you're making a video and the licensing that we were talking about is called synchronization licensing, where the copyright owners have to approve it directly, and these can take negotiations can take days or, or weeks, or sometimes even months, depending upon the usage. And, and even going to days or weeks, sometimes uh, a campaign just doesn't have that amount of time, and they just want to get something out there and figuring if somebody objects, then we'll deal with it. Well, and, and it sounds like then with some of the instances where maybe a lawsuit would be filed, Mark, uh, that in many cases, because of the, the, the want to not have publicity about this, many of these cases would probably be settled out of court anyway, correct? Yes. Absolutely. In the rare instances where complaints are actually filed, as opposed to you know the nasty Graham demand letters, uh, they're almost always settled out of court. Uh, Michael, can you think of a case that's uh, actually a reported decision on this? No, but and and just to give you perspective, um, roughly ninety-five percent of civil cases that get filed end up in a settlement. So the number yep. of cases that actually go all the way through and yield a court opinion is the small minority of litigation that happens. 
844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21, where this specific case then is is laying right now, Mark. What What is the path that we would see here? I, I, I mentioned the cease and desist order, but... Uh, you know, could we potentially see this if the if the Trump uh, campaign, if they continue to have rallies and they continue to have a variety of different music, whether it be Rihanna, uh, Guns and Roses, whatever it might be, you know, we could we could potentially see this go further down the road uh, in some sort of litigation. Well, it would it could, but it's a very drastic thing. First of all, um Rihanna would probably have to withdraw the work from her PRO, which is a very drastic thing, which means she would be foregoing royalty streams in other areas that she does approve of, like radio airplay and streaming and things like that. And so then if her performing rights organization, which I believe to be BMI, doesn't have the rights, then... They, the work can be withdrawn, and then if they continue to perform that work, it's without authorization, and then you can sue. But again, right. it, it's more like Michael was saying before, going back to the Clintons, if they really truly associate a particular song repeatedly with the campaign, then you get these other publicity rights that you can sue on right away. But it's, but it's unlikely to happen, again, after the cease and desist, they're probably just going to avoid using that song. Michael? Yeah, Dan, I, I think the the only time you would see that is, you know, sometimes people engage in litigation uh, because it gets them in the press, you know, and, if, sure. and there's yeah. no such thing as bad press. So if you want to use the litigation as a way to uh, for the headlines, then that, that would be a reason. But otherwise, there's no really good business reason. Um, and as Mark says, the it's an all you're all in or you're all out and and you don't want to lose that revenue yep great having you both with us today mark thank you very much michael as well thank you both thank you thank you for more insight from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu 